All right, uh, so today we are supposed to continue our Ephesians series, but Pastor Wes can't help himself, and we're going to be going into 1 Thessalonians, and we will continue Ephesians next week if the Lord wills it. He definitely wills it to finish. We started this book with the intention of finishing it. Uh, but one, I love you guys. I'm so happy and so excited that you guys are here. It is a blessing, and it is an honor uh, to see how many of you guys showed up in spite of what today is. Uh, my wife, when we were driving, my wife was like, I wonder if people will use the gas shortage as an excuse to not come to church today. And you didn't. No, and, and I, like, that's, I don't mean that like in a sarcastic way. Like, that's, it's wonderful. This matters. The gathering of the saints matters. You know, um, don't forsake the assembly, plant. It's no one in this room is called to go from church to church and bring your message. Like you are all called to be under a pastor, to be a part of a community that you feed with every week and probably more than every week. That being said, if Boulevard's not the church for you, no hard feelings, but get somewhere, get plugged in, get fed, serve alongside brothers who do life with you. Uh, there's actually a few people in, in my life that um, in the past I looked at them and, and I saw maybe bad theology and bad Christian practices. And in recent years, I've began to see really good theology and really good Christian practices. And I want to tell you one of those stories. Um, and a lot of them are like it. And actually, even some big-name pastors whose like, theology is shifting as they become less evangelist and more pastoral. Uh, and and, and uh, there's a guy, I've talked about this story before, um, he did a conference at Encounter, and Encounter is one of our, our sister churches, actually Pastor Zach, who planted Encounter. Um, he's not there anymore, he's in New York now. Uh, he's my pastor. Um, I, I, I cheated, I have two pastors, it's Pastor Dodgel and Pastor Zach. Yeah. But I'm committed to one community, right? Uh, <laughs> um, and... And they had this guest speaker uh, come in, and he preached a message. And when he started to prophesy, it was really, really good. But when he preached the Bible, it was like, that's not in there. Like, what's happening? Like, God has clearly anointed you. Why isn't your words lining up with the text? It was, it was a very unique and interesting moment. And then a few years later, he came back and preached at their conference. That was last year. And so I went to listen again because, um, well, I... I like Encounter. I like the people there. It's a good place. They do conferences and I show up. Um, and he went and he came out and he preached a message that was so fire and so amazing. And he so prophesied like he did, the spot on crazy stuff, but with good, good theology, you know? And again, I'm not saying like theology is in this rigid rule system. I mean, like clearly it's like you've at least read this a couple times and you didn't just thumb through it. Right? You didn't look for something to say what you wanted it to say. You were saying what it actually said. And so I actually walked up to him, and I had that conversation. I was like, hey, you know, because I'm blunt. And I was like, hey, there's been a huge difference in you the last few years that I've seen you. And he looked at me, and he said, yeah, I've had to, to repent for the way I did things a few years ago. And then I asked him, I said, why? And he said, well, back then I was a traveling prophet. He goes, and now I'm planted at a church. And he goes, and when you have to actually be accountable for what you say, and you go just say what you want and go to the next place, but you actually get brought to the woodshed if your word came to pass, if the gospel you preached actually bore fruit, he goes, it changed the way I did things and the way I saw things. You will not have a healthy relationship with Jesus unless you have a healthy, unless you have healthy soil that you're planted in. Right? Why? Because that's how he made it. That's how he made the church. 
Right? Uh, we're actually reading out of Thessalonians, and Paul says to the Thessalonica church, he says, God taught you to love. So you, you look at it, and you're like, well, see, God taught them. It's like, yeah, and they're all still together. Being taught by God as one community. Amen? Amen. And so I want to read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 to 6. Uh, and I, okay, sorry, go back to the title, because Amelia made it. I always like to draw attention to her. She's awesome. Give a round of applause for Amelia. Um, <laughs> So today's is, is the spirit, the word, and conviction. And I was trying to do like a lion, the witch, and the wardrobe kind of thing there. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. God is good. Um, uh, but the spirit, the word, and conviction. Um, and when we read the verse, you're going to be like, oh, he just stole that. And it's like, good. That's what you should title sermons. Um, um, I did the 30-day shred. And in that 30 days, um, I read the entire Bible in 30 days. It was a lot of fun. I'm a... And, and, and I'm, and I'm tired. <laughs> uh, it's like 40 to 50 chapters a day. Really cool. But the thing that stands out about that is all that 30 days of 40 to 50 chapters a day, the entire Bible in 30 days, one chapter stuck out like a sore thumb to me across all those days. And it was 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, I couldn't get it off my, my spirit, if you will. I couldn't get it off my mind. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And since I've done the shred and since I stopped it because, uh, you know, I, I saw someone post recently that it's like, hey, if you read the Bible a certain amount of days in a row, reward yourself by taking a break. And I'm like, you heretic. Um, <laughs> uh, keep reading. Keep, so I, I've stayed in the word. But the thing is, is every day since I finished, which I finished on January 31st, so for the last... Uh, 12 days, um, I have only read First Thessalonians chapter 1 every day for 12 days. I can't get out of it. And, you know, I've, I've gone and, like, looked at things that are connected to it, and then I read through Thessalonians, but it's all for the purpose of this first chapter. I, I can't get it off my mind. I can't get it off my heart, and so I want to preach it to you guys. I think this is going to be awesome. I think it's going to be wonderful, and I think we're going to be challenged in a good, healthy, and exciting way. Amen. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 to 6. For we know brothers. Okay, that word brothers right there. We're up to draw attention to that. Uh, you've noticed, again, we're going through Ephesians, and Ephesians is like the book of identity. We called it that. And uh, we point out that Paul keeps calling the Ephesus church saints. He says it like a ton of times. And you'll find when you read Paul's letters, uh, when, he, when he interacts with the church, he kind of has like an opinion about them, and it bleeds out in the little things that he says. So in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul calls the church my brothers uh, 15 times. And it's not a long, I think, how many chapters is it? Six? Five. It's not a long book. And in 2 Thessalonians, he calls them brothers seven more times. It's the same church. If you read the book of Acts, this is the church that that one dude got jumped and beat up for believing in what Paul said, and they, like, snuck him out of the city because Paul tried to go and defend the guy, and they're like, no, you got to get out of here. Uh, this church was heavily persecuted, and it was heavily attacked uh, because overall the Jewish people did not convert to the message, but a few key people did, a few key women, the Bible says, and several Greeks. So this is a predominantly Gentile Greek church with some Jewish people in it. That's what this church is. Um, and Paul calls them brothers. This word for brothers actually doesn't mean um, like my mother's other son. Uh, this word, uh, it, means, it means equals with shared kinship is kind of like the way this word is used. 
And the reason why I draw your attention to that is because this is one of the only books that Paul does not flaunt his authority. He does not tell them anything about like you owe me. He doesn't tell them things like I am an apostle. He doesn't like, he doesn't state his case. He treats them as equals the entirety of the book. And it's really cool to read that because it's something I never notice until this read. And if you read it with that in mind, you'll really see like he sees this church as co-laborers. Paul talks about how he gets to another city. And when he got there, people already believed in Jesus. And it's because of this church. He's like, y'all beat me. Y'all beat me to the city. They were laboring with Paul like an apostle would labor. Right? Because again, title doesn't equal impact. Submission equals impact. How submitted am I to God and what he's called me to do? Okay, we'll read the Bible though. For we know brothers loved by God. Can I, can I get a shot for that? You know, y'all are loved by God. We're going to wake up. We're going to be happy. It's a good one. Uh, I love this. For we know, we know loved by God that he has chosen you. You know, whenever we talk about choosing, whenever we talk about um, election, whenever we talk about salvation and we have an argument of like, you know, can you lose your salvation or, or were you predestined or was it free will? And we have all those conversations. If we ever have those conversations in a small group, do you know what inevitably comes up every single time with every person in the room? How do I know I'm saved? It comes up. I think so many Christians... We live our lives unsure of if we're actually saved. And let me tell you, sincerely, God does not want that for you. I can say that confidently from the scriptures that God does not want that for you. But it doesn't change the fact that maybe many of us still feel that way. I think our last men's group was the one before where that topic came up and people like, you're right. Actually, how do I know that I'm saved? You know, and you got the, the answer, the Christianese one that I gave that night, right? And it's like, you know, because you were worried about it, you know that you're saved. <laughs> and I think, I think there's a level of truth to that. Because uh, if you didn't care about salvation, there would probably be a sure sign that you're not. Um, but Paul says that he, he, he's like, I'm on the outside, and I know you're chosen by God. Jesus says many are called, but few are chosen. Paul's like past called. You guys are clearly called. Not only that, you guys are chosen. Well, Paul, how are you so confident? How do you know? Well, this is a good answer because now you guys can be confident and you can know if this stuff applies to you. And if it doesn't apply to you, blame Paul. All right, uh, verse five. And it says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, so it came in word, not only in word though, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So there's the word, there's power, there's the spirit, and there's full conviction. Pastor West, that's not very encouraging. Well, it should be. Because the spirit produces this stuff. The spirit highlights the word, the spirit brings power, the spirit convicts us, and the spirit is present. And should those things not be true for you, make it true for you. Because God's already opened the door. God's already made a way. 
And it costs you nothing. It costs him everything. Well, that's kind of cheating. It does cost you a little bit because then you got to live like him. Uh, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Next verse. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, but with joy of the Holy Spirit. I love how that is one sentence. Affliction and joy. Christians weather storms well. Because joy should always be set before us. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. Uh, Lord, for the next four hours and 72 minutes, I pray that you would anoint me uh, to preach this message uh, with no compromise. Uh, but also, God, I pray that you would open our hearts and prepare us and encourage us with your word. May we be individuals who love your word, love your spirit, walk in your power with a full conviction of a healthy and clean conscience. And in Jesus' name I say, amen. All right, so how can I confidently know that I am chosen? That's kind of what I want to talk about. How can I confidently know that Boulevard Church is a church of people who are chosen by God and walking in his calling for us? And again, remember, we, we started with this. We started with this statement. This church exists to feed sheep. And it's inevitable to have conversations like that. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul came out the freaking gates with this. You notice in other, other books where Paul comes out the gates, he's like, uh, you know, you guys are kind of messing up, and I love you, and I'm an apostle, and I'm here for you, but we got to talk about some stuff. Not Thessalonian, not the Thessalonica church. Because when you're interacting with people sold out for Jesus, you can come different. You can interact different. You can talk different than when you have to tiptoe around people who are still maybe more self-focused than him-focused, right? And our perspective needs to ever be on him because it's him that power comes from. It's his name. It's his power, and it's his authority. It's him that peace comes from. He is the Prince of Peace. It's him that our, our joy comes from. It's him that our comfort. It's him that our love comes from. He's the one that teaches us to be kind and gentle and good. And maybe if you find that you're not a very gentle person, maybe you get angry quick. It's time to, to seek him on these things. I don't come from you as a perspective of someone who's perfect telling you what's up. I'm telling you, this verse has been burning in my heart. God is talking to me a lot about it. But I want you to intentionally decide that you are going to be encouraged by God today. Because you were anointed for all these things. When we talk about power, that's for you. When we talk about the spirit, that's for you. When we talk about conviction, that's for you. And we talk about the word, that's for you. You matter. You're important. As my pastor likes to say, you're significant. Agape love is not love that only God has. It's not a thing you read the Bible and multiple times other people had agape for one another. Right? By, by teaching that only God can agape, again, we lower the bar and say that we don't have to walk in the love of God. We do. Right? That word agape means love that brings worth. Right? And so what I, my pastor likes to say, and I love it, and I'm going to repeat it to you guys today, is God's love made you have worth. 
which means you were worthy before God died for you because he, lo- because he loved you before that moment. You were worthy before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because God's love gave you worth. And his love is something that you can't shake and you can't break. You bear the image of God. You were created in his likeness. And sometimes we can lose track of that. Sometimes we can forget who we are. I think fundamentally, many Christians who struggle with walking in the fullness of what God has for them, we just have an identity issue. But you have been identified. You are beloved. You matter. Again, I want to keep saying it. You matter. I got to keep saying it because we're going to talk about conviction later. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Um, But how can I confidently show that I am chosen. Uh, The church is too safe in PC. We've watered down the expectation of the average person. And by lowering the bar, we've effectively lowered the power of the church. By teaching people, you don't need to evangelize, just invite your coworker to church. You have stopped them from learning to preach the gospel. And all the other things. By teaching people that I, because I'm the elder, I'm God's man of power for the hour. And I'm the anointed one. You've made it so people run to your feet to get a word. Because they don't have their own anointing to go into the presence of God and get a word for themselves. I think it's because most pastors are afraid of their churches shrinking. And it becomes a, a parasitic relationship where you feed my insecurity I bring a large crowd and I give you really fluffy and prophetic words to make you feel like you're important because even though Jesus Christ died for you the church has taught you that that's not enough and that you need a word from God's holy and anointed and I fundamentally reject that all of you in here are God's holy and anointed we're not Catholic we are Christian we believe we are all saints amen And some of you are called to give out prophetically crazy words and encourage people. But don't, prophets don't exist to teach people to have ears. Prophets exist to teach people to use their mouths. Prophets are for the equipping of the saints. And it's not my job here. Here, little little chicken, eat out of my hand. No, it's like, here, I got a word for you, but let me show you where I got it because the next one's on you. Right, like we have to be a church that builds and pushes one another up because, again, I don't want to be in a church of people where five people are chosen because they're God's man of power or woman of power. Not us, not here, not this church. There will be an awakening, and the awakening comes when everyone recognizes their calling. Goodbye, water bottle. Um, <laughs> you were not chosen. <laughs> Kidding. Um, <laughs> but I might get thirsty later, so I definitely need that. Um, You matter. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Paul looked at the entire church, Greeks, Jewish people, and the word says women of renown who might or might not have been preaching the gospel as well. He looked at all of them and he says, I see power on you. How do you see power? Well, they're prophesying. Well, they're healing. Well, they're speaking in tongues. Well, they're hospitable. They're administrative. They're kind. They're compassionate. 
Then he says, I see the spirit on you. What's the difference between the spirit and power? We'll talk about it. I got excited. Okay, the word is the first thing. The first thing Paul said is you guys received the word. He says not only the word. but the, Not only the word means what? Also the word. Right? Don't forget. Don't forget, no matter how far we run in our excitement and our anointings, if it doesn't pull you right back to the word, it is not of God. Listen, we do not deify the Bible. We do not worship the Bible, but we do worship the guy, the God that the Bible teaches us about. In this church, uh, we do believe uh, that the Bible is true in all that it teaches. Uh, that word is iner inerrant means the Bible has no error. Meaning, if you get a word from God that does not line up with the word, it's our litmus test. When Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, test all things, how do you test? You take it to scripture. He literally says that. He goes, he goes, you tested all things against the scriptures. You cannot, if you do not know the word, you cannot walk in proper discernment because you are only discerning your emotions and your feelings. We must discern based off the word. But here's the beautiful thing about the word, the gospel. It has power. Romans 1.16. All right. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. To Glenn and Ellen first and the rest of us got to receive it. <laughs> Every time I read the word Jew, it's just the first thing. It's just like, hey, we, got, we have two. Um, and I guess Aaron, because he went like this at me, which must imply that he's fully Jewish. I heard him speak in Russian the other day. I know, I'm on to him. Um, G.K. Chesterton says this. He says, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Right now, the word has power, but if it is only text to you, there is no power to it, right? Correct? It is the word of God that saved you. When someone walked up to you and says, hey, do you know Jesus loves you? How did they know? Because it's in the word. The gospel has power behind it, and we have to balance this. You need to know your word. You need to study scripture. You need to study to show yourself approved. My people perish due to lack of knowledge, right? They, they, they perish due to lack of oneness or intimacy with me. That is a true and real thing, but I have been to churches where they get up and they stand on the stage and they go through the Bible one verse at a time and God doesn't show up to the service because there's more to it Paul saw four things and they, they intermingle in such a beautiful way that if you're missing even one you are missing what it means to be chosen but listen one of those things is the word fall in love with God's word 1 Timothy 3.16 talks, it's for your reproof, your growth, your edification. Well, pastor, I don't feel edified. Edified means encouraged. Pastor, I'm just so discouraged. When's the last time you read your Bible? Because the Bible says it's good for your edification. So if you're not edified, then maybe you're not in it. Oh, pastor, I'm just, having, I'm just having a real rough day. When's the last time you read the Bible? Well, I mean, it's been so down that it's just been hard to open. It's been impossible to open the book. Well, then it's impossible to be healed from this, right? We have to love the word. There is no movement of God. No, you, you can study all your revivals. Study them all because I love them. And I'm believing it. We need one, <laughs> right? So more revivals, yes, please, amen, hallelujah. But they didn't just start with healings. Men got up and preached the gospel. 
actually revivals typically died when men started swaying into pagan beliefs. It's typically when revivals die or just when the first generation passes away because they never taught the second generation to follow the word. They taught the second generation to follow their signs, right? Which is atrocious. Show them the word. Word is important. <laughs> no, no, please. Uh, every, like, from, even from a scientific standpoint, having a practice of waking up early in the morning and reading, it doesn't even matter what the book is, it's just good for your mental health. Like, every study ever will show you that. So read your word. You'll be more encouraged. Your brain will work better throughout the day. And you'll be edified. You'll be reproof. You'll grow in God. You'll start right. But the second thing Paul saw in them was power. So let's talk about power. Did you know that you're supposed to walk in power? Did you know that for each of you, that's supposed to look a little different? Look, the Bible says not all heal. So drop your theology that anyone can heal. It's dumb. It's not what the Bible says. But it's just that we, we hold on to this false belief because it encourages us. It makes us feel good. Of like, well, you know, God heals. We always pray for people. We always believe that God is going to move. But you have different giftings and different anointings that God has called you to do. And the problem is because we've told people the sign that your salvation is that you're speaking in tongues. A lot of people walk around feeling they're not saved because God never gave them that gift and he never will. But what's your power? What is your gifting? What is your gift set? What is your anointing? Now hear me, these aren't an excuse to not do biblical things. Well, I'm just not gifted to be an evangelist. Well, Jesus said everyone evangelized. <laughs> and you'll have moments where you step out of your comfort zone and maybe do things that aren't one of your gifts, right? That's just because God will do whatever he wants to do. And it's funny, I watched a, a remnant radio uh, they did an interview with uh, Apologia Church. And in Remnant Radio, these guys really believe in the gifts. They believe in that stuff. They're like theologians that defend the Bible. Uh, they, they were, I stole my phrase, that I am a cautious continuist. I believe that the gifts have continued, but I believe a lot of weird stuff has crept its way into the church, and we call it gifts, and it's not gifts. Uh, but we'll get to that when we talk about the Spirit. Uh, I'm really excited about that. Um, but they had a conversation, and this, this cessationist church, a church that does not believe in the power of God moving in the midst of people anymore. Like, they still believe that God will bring down power. Uh, they were telling stories about when they were evangelizing and they prayed for someone and someone got healed. And it's like, and, and the guy's like, wait, like, you saw a healing? And the guy who doesn't believe in the gifts is like, yeah, yeah, I know, because God, God can heal anyone. It's like, so you believe in the gifts. <laughs> like, he's like, no, it wasn't me, it was God. And it's like, Fine. So God still does stuff today? Yes. You're not a cessationist. <laughs> like, stop it. Right? But it was just such an interesting conversation because uh, Jeff Durbin, uh, the pastor of that church, he has a son who they adopted. And when you saw the ultrasound, his spine wasn't in his body, in the womb. Spinal abifida. Right? And so what did they do? They prayed. Because what are you supposed to do? You pray. And they, they prayed, and the child was born with no issues. Amen. Actually, uh, one of the most recent sermons that Jeff Durbin preached, you can actually see the kid run down the, the thing. And you, I know it's him because I, I stalk that pastor because I think he's awesome, except for the gifts thing. He's out there preaching the gospel and stopping babies from being aborted. So amen, hallelujah, let's do it. Right? And so it's like, that's my brother in Christ. I just don't agree about the gifts thing. But you see this, this kid running down, and he goes, oh, this is my son. I was like, that's the one? He's, he's jogging. 
He's running. His spine wasn't in his body. And they walk away and they're like, yeah, God does what he wants. Uh, no healings, though. <laughs> Believe what you want, God moves. Charles Spurgeon is really famous. Uh, there's a doctor who said that the greatest healing ministry in all of England was Charles Spurgeon. He was a cessationist that didn't believe the gifts moved today. But he was a gifted healer. And so it's like, believe what you want, but God's moving. Right? But that's what a gift is. It's that thing that it's like, I don't even believe in this gift, but it just keeps happening. <laughs> walk, in, walk in power. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is within you, you will just walk in power. And again, it'll look different. And don't covet someone else's gift. Yeah. Right? It may, like, oh, I just got hospitality, right? And it's like, that's a great gift. Because most people aren't walking around. Well, they are. A lot of people are walking around unhealed, but we have more people walking around depressed and rejected, and they need a gift of hospitality in their life where someone will sit them in their home and love on them throughout several weeks, months, and years. That's more needed than a grand healing gift to flow through the church. Right? And I think one of the first signs of great revival are going to be homes opening up again. Exactly, Johnny. That's my godson. So in 1 Corinthians 2.4, you see this, it's great stuff. Uh, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Let's pause there for a second. I just did that so you can see that again in another book, Paul says the spirit and the power are two different things. Right? What's the difference between spirit and power? Obviously, power comes from the spirit. We're not going to deny that. We're not going to pretend like that's not true. But when Paul says, I see the Holy Spirit on you, and when Paul says, I see power on you, he's seeing two different things. We will be talking about power first, though, right? So uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7. Now, there are a varieties of gifts. We're going to go real slow through this, okay, D.C.? There are a varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So theoretically, I'm not even going to argue, yes, God could theoretically move anything through you at any time. If you don't have the gift of healing, but someone's sick and you're the only one around, pray. Believe. If someone needs a word, but I'm not a prophet and God gives you something, speak. Right? But you are gifted. I love uh, William Lane Craig. He's a popular theologian. And uh, someone asked him if he, he believes the gifts are still active today. And, and he said, I am biblically persuaded the gifts must still be active. And so they asked him, how come all the other PhD learned people along with you, why is it that it seems to be the more educated someone is, the less they believe in the gifts? They asked him that question. And in an interview, he said this. He said, because their gifting is teaching. And so they looked down on the other gifts. Right? But that's the point. Why is their gift still active? There's no reason to start separating these things, right? Uh, we, we want to, and I love that. He's just like, if, if the Bible says this stuff is happening, it's happening, right? And he's like, I've never spoken in tongues. I've never prayed for someone and they've been healed. But when I open my mouth and I preach the gospel, I feel the spirit of God propelling me. And I feel that I am anointed for this thing. Amen. Now, there are varieties of gifts with the same spirit. Verse 5. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Verse 6, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Do you believe that you're empowered, filled with power? Listen, 
Here's what Paul is saying if you're really paying attention, especially in 1 Thessalonians. If you are empowered, the power is tangible. Because Paul says, I see power on you. Verse 7. Uh-oh. To each, what does each mean? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Time out. Let's pause. What does each mean? Now let's ask another word. What does manifestation mean? You can see it. It is manifesting. Each of us have gifts that are obvious. You're anointed and you're gifted. You don't need to take some weird gifts test. What happens when you begin to minister the gospel? I don't know. What happens for you? When I try to tell my neighbors about the gospel, nothing really goes anywhere, but they always end up at my house eating dinner. It's because you're hospitable and it manifested itself. You see, I go out and I try to preach the gospel to people and I just end up in a line of people just praying for healing. It's because it's your gift. You know, in the book of Acts, Jesus says, I have anointed you with the spirit so that you might be my witnesses. I think a lot of people don't know what their gifts are because no one goes out and is witnesses into the world because that is why God brought the spirit to you is so that you would be a witness. So if you're not witnessing, you don't even need to use the gift. Well, someone gave me a car for my birthday. I just wish that's a prophetic word. I'm just kidding. Um, someone, if, if someone gave you a free car for your birthday, like here, and it's like, well, I don't go anywhere. I don't need it. You'll never drive it. How fast does the car go? I don't know. I've never needed to use it. How much mileage does it get? I don't know. I've never, I've never needed to use it. How are your brakes? I don't know. I've never needed to use them. It's like the gift's in the garage. You just don't need it. And I think for many of us who walk in power, it's the same way. The gift's in the garage. You're just not preaching the gospel. And so you've never needed to use it. Right? Preach the word. It is why you are here. You are in ambassador of the Lord. And you are in a church whose slogan is on your street and in your city. So go on the street and get in the city. Amen. Second Thessalonians 2.9. That's a whole book later. But Paul talks about the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. We can pause for a second. We can't talk about power without pausing long enough to say, just because a miracle happens does not mean it's God. That's why you need the word. I just went in that church and I just felt good. You know how many Muslims I know who will tell me that? Go to a new age guru, people who wear their chakra rocks around. It just makes me feel safe because feelings will lie to you. Signs will lie to you, and so will wonders, unless there's the word, unless there's the spirit, and unless there's full conviction. Again, these are so intermingled. If you remove one, it's not the fullness of God. Right? Does that make sense? A lot of big churches that walk in gifts use a lot of new age practices. There is a very big church where someone working in it wrote a book that literally encouraged people to go to the new age practices and steal things for God and bring them back to the church. Don't do that. If you try to bring a destiny card in this church, I will remove you or at least the cards, right? 
If I see you palm reading someone's hand, you're out. You don't need the unum and thunum. You need the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to bring a false spirit in here, that has to be met with equal power and authority, which is it is not welcome here. But again, let's also talk about some of these other things where it's like, again, we're going to, I want to step on just a little bit of toes, but just, it, it's okay. The name of Jesus is enough. So I was sitting down with a pastor in the city recently, uh, by yesterday, recently, I literally mean Friday. So Friday night, again, that's why I couldn't go and evangelize. I had a meeting with a pastor in the city. Me and my wife went, we met with their family and they were talking to us about how there was this big struggle with someone in their church who kept manifesting a demon. And then no matter what they tried to do, they could not cast it out. For the record, this church does not exist anymore. This church just closed down and this pastor is going through it, right? And so he called a pastor from a really big church in the city and the pastor sent him a book. And in the book, he was encouraged, cast out the demon, figure out its name, which, because Jesus did that once, stop it. Figure out its name. And then here's what it said. Here's what the book said. He showed me the book. It's ridiculous. It says that when the demon starts to leave, open up the window nearest to the front door and then go clockwise and open them one by one, and then the demon will leave and no longer hang on to the family. That's pagan. That's not Jesus. There is one thing you need to make a demon flee. In the name of Jesus, go out. Uh, Jordan Robinson, he teaches the, uh, the youth, he, he runs the youth at Encounter Church. He talks about how he went on a missions trip and they went out to another country and there was a girl they brought to him whose eyes were solid black. And this family was asking him, cast this demon out of my baby. And sorry if this, you're not into this kind of stuff. We believe in this stuff around here. I've seen it too much and I see it in the Bible. And so it's like, it is what it is. We're just here, right? And when he, he's like, okay, he went to go cast the demon out. And the other person that was with him grabbed his hand and said, don't cast the demon out of that baby. And he's like, why? And he goes, they do this on purpose. They show up to Christian crusades, so you'll cast the demon out, so seven more will come later. Like they're filling this child with demons. But here's the point. Even though what would have happened was atrocious, it didn't matter. Because the name of Jesus would have been enough. They had false motives, false desires. They were wanting to do weird things with it. But if a man of God used the name of Jesus, that's all it would have taken. The name of Jesus is sufficient. Read the book. And if someone else's book contradicts, read the book. Now, Jesus does some weird things sometimes, and you have to be led by the Spirit. Now, I want to give you an exact opposite. There was someone I was praying for, and they started manifesting. And I don't have a Bible verse for this, but I felt in my heart, I felt like God was saying, put the Bible on their chest. And so I did, and they fell to the floor, and then I was able to cast the demon out. I had no verse for that. But here's the other thing. I'm not going to write a book. About here's what you do if a demon's acting up. You put a Bible on his chest. Teach people to be discerning. God will guide you. Do not build up traditions that are not in scripture. Right? Can we talk about the difference there? Because some of these things might work for that moment. It should not be your practice. Your practice is whatever, God, whatever you need in this moment. Which is why when the disciples said, hey, we were casting out these demons. Nothing worked. Why? Jesus didn't say, well, you didn't read my newest book. It's for sale, $9.99. You didn't invite me to your church and have me preach a message to your people. What do you say? He says, this comes out by fasting and prayer. What do you say? He goes, you hadn't prepared beforehand for this moment. And because you had no intimacy with Jesus, because you had no intimacy with God, because you weren't filled with the presence, when you walked into this moment, you weren't prepared for it. That's all he was saying. So how did Jesus cast out the demon? 
Well, he had been praying for 40 days and 40 nights, walked off the mountain and cast the demon out. Are you telling me to pray for 40 days and 40 nights? It's probably not the worst idea. <laughs> right? Well, I want power like Jesus had. Well, then live like he lived. You can have power like Jesus had. You are anointed. But so were the disciples. And they also hit a, hit a wall where they couldn't cast something out. Smurferation. That's the first rule of smurfdom. Okay, that means preparation. An unknown quoter said this. Ready? They said, be realistic. Expect a miracle. If the God of heaven and earth is real and he has filled you up, the most realistic thing you can do is expect God to move. Amen. So if someone you know is struggling with some stuff, pray for them. Walk with them. Live life in them. Don't buy into that weird belief that, well, they have a demon, and if they touch me, the demon's going to follow me around all day. That's some weak, milk-fed stuff. Get a stake. Get a stake in there. Strengthen yourself. The Bible says be careful who you lay hands on. It's saying be careful who you make a leader. <laughs> like, why use that verse and decide it's about a demon? <laughs> like, it's not, but it's, we, we do weird stuff to bunny hoop through. What we, that's why we got to know the word. We just, we just hop around. But the more important part of this, Paul says, I saw the spirit. And what did he say? He says, I also saw, I saw power. He goes, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's talk about the good stuff. Uh, I want to show you in Acts, Jesus did the same thing. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. The Bible says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. I'm just pointing it out again because consistently, for some reason, the Bible separates the two. Right? Because there's something about presence and there's something about dunamis. Right? There's something about an abiding fire within me, and there's something about a fire that shoots out of my hands. Right? I'm not saying you get to shoot a fireball, but you get what I'm saying. Right? The fire of the Lord that's in you, <laughs> moving like you ought to. But Jesus, even Jesus was this way. He had the Holy Spirit, and he had power. He went about doing good, Holy Spirit, and healing the power. All who were oppressed by the devil... For God was with him, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. You know, every time someone's sick, it doesn't mean that there's a demon. But sometimes it means that you need discernment, <laughs> right? Again, putting a be-all, end-all sticker on things does not work. Only one sticker works every time in the name of Jesus. Lean on him. He will guide you. I'm telling you, that's the whole point of this. You need the word. You need power. But now you also need the abiding presence of the spirit. What did Paul see? when he saw the spirit? That was the question I asked myself. It bugged me because it's like all the, he saw the spirit. Well, it means he saw them healing people. Now that's power. Okay, wait, so then he saw them prophesying. Well, no, that's, that's power. Power was external. But again, we read it. What did he say? He says, you guys handled challenges with joy. He saw character. An anointed um, I want to say executioner. That's not the right word. Uh, exorcist with no character ought not to be welcomed. And their gifts ought not to be used in the assembly. Because there is no evidence of choosing. 
Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal many? Did we not preach the gospel? Be gone, I never knew you. Well, I, I know that what they're doing is from God because, no, you don't. Did they love well? How did they handle persecution and challenges? Were they peaceful? Did they have self-control? Galatians 5, 22 to 25. All right, of course we had to come here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Let's pause. In 1 Thessalonians, what does Paul say to them? He says, he said, we didn't read it, but I told you about it. Uh, <laughs> he says that you love in a way that God taught you. They had love. They had joy. In the face of trials, they had joy. Do you have joy in the face of trials? And this, again, it's like, if, that, if I don't, does that mean that I don't know Jesus? <laughs> no. It just means that's what Jesus said. And uh, there's peace and there's patience. Are you patient? Kind and good and faithful. Verse 23 says, gentleness, self-control. Goodness is doing good things. Gentleness is the manner in which you do good things. Well, pastor, I had to tell him how it was. Maybe it was good, but it wasn't gentle. Well, I just didn't want to be mean to them, so I couldn't tell them this. It was gentle, but it wasn't good. Right? Self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Pause. Right there. What's this talking about? It's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I don't want to be loving. Well, then you don't belong to Christ because you haven't crucified your desires. Is that, you know what I'm saying? Like the text, we like to, again, because we want everyone to feel welcome, we've removed power from the church. Because I know you're kind of a hateful person, but yeah, you're still saved, and you still love Jesus, and you're still fine, and so you're an example, and then no one doubt this person loves Jesus, and so now we can't bring someone to the block of being like, no, you, you need to get on your knees and repent. And when we have moments where we don't live to it because we're all human, and we all walk out our salvation with fear and trembling, we don't say, well, it's just, I gotta do that, or it's just, well, it's just who I am, then, then stop. I don't care how you were born. I care how you were born again. And I, and I have moments where I am not loving. And I have moments where I am angry. And even at, well, it's a righteous anger. I had a right to be angry. No, I wasn't being loving. I had to get on my knees before God and say, God, I want to be a man of love. I don't just want power. I don't just want to be seen as someone who's mighty and wonderful. I just bring the d demon possessed to him and he will cast them out and they'll flee. And he led a deep revival. Look at most of the revivals that have happened in history. Those men did not end with God. Many of them did not. Because the character died when the popularity rose. But the anointing never left because you're filled with power. You are filled with power. And again, be gracious to each other. We'll all fall short. Pastor Wes will do something not kind to you eventually. I mean, when we were praying today, I high-fived Pastor Eric, and he looked upset at me, and I don't think he thought it was kind. When I did to Arze, he laughed, though, so. Pity-pity, you know what I'm saying? 
second. Sorry, like I said, there's a, there's a fire behind this because God is literally using this passage to minister to me right now. Um, but I do think, I think this is for all of us. And again, what does the word say? Because that was the first thing, right? Well, they're really loving and they walk in power, but they don't know their word. It's the same problem. Because then you have to inevitably ask the question, who is power? Well, Jesus is obviously because it casts out a demon. Again, read the word. That's not a guaranteed thing. I mean, I don't know. Some of us do, like, I think we do, like, mental backflips with stuff a lot of times. But, I mean, you look at Peter bringing salvation, and a man walks up to Peter, and he says, hey, like, what can I do to be saved? And Peter said, oh, you can't. The spirit has been cut off from you. Because the man tried to buy the spirit. Like, watch someone say that now. Oh, they're just not loving. It's like, no, they knew the word. And, they were, and it's not this thing of like, I know ev- the door is open for everyone. But if someone's not going to walk through it, that's no one's fault but theirs. Right? Again, we have to understand these things. We need discernment. Not everyone you meet and preach the gospel to will accept the gospel. God knows who's going to be saved and who's not. You don't. Preach to everyone that you see. And don't be flippant about it, thinking like, oh, well, they might not, but that's, that's between them and God. No, no, have a burden for them. They matter. But you also have to understand the flip side, that it's not going to happen for everybody. And to do weird theologies about that, I don't know. Like, I, I literally watched, someone recently was telling me, they're like, yeah, I think it's, it's always God's will to heal. And it's like, I just, you don't even see that in scripture. You literally see Paul asking to be healed, and God said no. He literally said no. He said, you're too prideful. No. You know what I'm saying? But so God wants everyone to be healed. Yeah, I know. And if we want to get like really theological about it, yes, when people pass away, they are fully healed. So you're right. Eventually they will all be healed. Right? But, but sometimes things are there for a purpose. Someone walks up to, to Jesus and they say, what sin did he commit that that he has the sickness, and Jesus says, nothing. But he's here so that my power can be seen. And so what if someone's not getting healed yet because they're reserved for a power five years from now? What if they're reserved for someone else's story five years from now? We should still pray. And we should still have the absolute and utter faith that God is going to move. And, and I'll still keep praying. And when, when, when unfortunately, when we, we lost Josh Sweeney, we prayed for seven days. And then when it was Aaron's turn to go, we prayed another seven days. And if any of you gets sick like that again, guess what? I'm going to pray seven days. Those situations didn't teach me that prayer doesn't work. Amen. They didn't teach me that because it's not true. But here's what they did teach me. God's will is final. Because I know I prayed with everything in me. And I know I sought God with everything in me. And there are things that sometimes don't make sense. Like when Stephen passed away, I saw anointing on him. I saw a future on him. But he was with the Lord. And it didn't make sense to me for the longest time. Because God doesn't always do things my way. But I will always, I need to always do things his way. Uh, Lastly is full conviction. Sorry I went late. I apologize. But I don't, I can't think of anything I would have cut. So that's that. Last is full conviction. So let's do Colossians 2.2. 
that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. Uh, I wanted to point that out because you saw they had full conviction. I think this verse breaks it down really well. True conviction is the full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery. Did you know that the mysteries of God are no longer mysteries to his church? God isn't hiding things from you. You have, you can interact with the fullness of the mysteries of God, right? But more than that, you should be assured by them. These people were convicted because they were assured. And they believed when I die, I really will go to heaven. And they really believe that all the afflictions in this present time is momentary. But the gospel that I have to bring to these people, if they don't receive it, their affliction will not be momentary. It will be eternal. And they believed it with everything in them. So much so that Jason, this is the first uh, Thessalonians, uh, this church that was in the Thessalonica church, Jason got beat for it. And Paul tried to go help the guy and they pushed him away and they said, go, this is Jason's burden. And Jason got up and continued to be a man of God in that city. But Paul had to go because he had other things to do and other places to preach because everyone recognized everyone's anointing. Everyone respected everyone's anointing. And Paul even had to respect, I'm an apostle, but I'm no longer called to this city. And God has called them to this city. And this city is going to be flipped upside down because of them, not me. And Paul left to Berea. And they tarried and preached the gospel. And so what did Paul say about them? You're my brothers. You're my brothers in the word. You preach like I preach. You're my brothers in power. You walk in the same anointings I do as an apostle. You're my brothers in the spirit. You have character. And you're my brothers in conviction that you are unswayed. Literally in the face of a beating, you preach the gospel. Now, there might come a time in the future where that time is not now that some of you might take a beating for Jesus. Some of us might take a beating for Jesus. But you are already taking a mental beating for Jesus. Be fully convinced of the way of the Lord. Stand on his truths. Everything going on in the realm of transsexuality, homosexuality, abortion, the Bible is clear. Be fully convicted of his truth and do not bow to society. And it's like a weird threat, but I don't mean it as a threat. You will regret it. You will be like a Solomon at the end of your life who falls to his face before the Lord. He says, I let go of everything to be comfortable. Where there is people who are chosen, there is the word faithfully served. There is power faithfully walked in. There is a spirit faithfully lived in. And there is conviction that faithfully guides all they do. We must be examples of the power and character and word and conviction of Christ. Paul says, you imitated me, and now you imitate Christ. Dear Lord in heaven, I just pray for every person in this room. God, I thank you that you're enough. But God, wake us up to not being, don't let us normalize powerlessness. God, don't let us normalize not, uh, not loving your word. Don't let us normalize making excuses to not walk in your character. 
And don't let us normalize laziness. Don't let us become apathetic. Wake us up. Reignite us. If anyone in this room has wandered from the passion that you have given us, God, I pray for grace to reignite it throughout this week. Thank you that you are kind. And I thank you that in spite of all these words and everything that was said today, you are so graceful and kind to us and so merciful that even if many of us have been walking and willingly rejecting and doing sinful actions before you, I thank you that you have been so kind to open your door and let us walk right back in. It is not earned, it is not deserved, but it was freely given. And I thank you, God, that all that I do is built on your free gift. Thank you that you love me and that you love everyone here. And God, I pray that that would be enough for us. That we would no longer seek no longer seek after new age practices thinking that they will somehow satisfy us. We no longer seek after the people who will anoint us, quote unquote, and announce to us that we are now warriors, that we must go in battle because it gives us something to do. God, let us be faithful what you've actually called the church to do. Let us preach the gospel, set men free, and speak truth to lies. God, I pray we'd be satisfied with our portion, but we would walk in it with its full power and grace that has been afforded to us. And in Jesus' name I say, amen.